0: father we come before you and love you and uh, again are humbled by all of the ministry opportunity we have we are uh, humbled and grateful for all the opportunities we have to learn to grow to serve to use our spiritual gifts gifts and to be the people that you've made us to be we just submit all of these ministries to you god we um, we do not want to do things that you don't want us to do God, we want to be purposeful. We want to be followers of you. We want to go where you lead us. And so, Lord, may you grant the leadership of the Village Church and all of its different forms and all the people who are leading different ministries a sense of unity, purpose, vision, and direction that is from your spirit. And so, Lord, we do submit all this to you, God, as I think about even right now in our church, um, just some of the very uh, real hurts and pains and needs that are going on and uh, the number of men and women in our church who are looking for jobs. And Lord, I submit each one of them to you. God, you're a good God who's in control of everything. And so, Lord, my first prayer is that whatever season of joblessness we might find ourselves in, Lord, may we look to you to see what you have for us uh, in this season in terms of our relationship with you and growing in intimacy with you. But Lord, I also pray that you would provide so that we can be the men and the women that you've called us to be at work. And so, Lord, I do pray that you would supernaturally provide jobs for those who don't have it, that you would bring them and show them the places where you want them to be. And God, I pray that each one of us would be um, praying, if we are struggling to find work, that we'd be praying and seeking you to lead us and, and to guide us. Uh, Lord, I lift up uh, Nell Whitaker, who is recovering from E. coli. And Father, I just want to first thank you for her legacy, even in this church. And uh, it's not just that she has a daughter. Um, who loves you and worships with us and it's not even that she just has a granddaughter who loves you and worships with us But god in this church are her great-grandchildren Grandchildren too. And so god, I want to thank you first for her legacy and the years of faithfulness and that she has four generations of those in her family who confess Jesus christ as their lord and savior and so father I thank you that we have the privilege to come around her and pray for her and god I do pray lord that her soul would be encouraged and god that she would continually find her strength in you. And so, Lord, I pray for healing and that this opportunity would be one where she grows closer with you, but where she just senses um, the deep love and care and concern that she has, not just from her church, but especially her family. And so, God, we lift now up to you. Lord, I left Emily hand her hand up to you who just uh, found out she has febre. And so, Lord, we just submit her to you and we submit her body to you. And, God, I do pray, Lord, that you would uh, give doctors an incredible amount of wisdom, that you would show them exactly how to go about addressing this. And, God, thank you um, that she loves you and is faithful to you and is trusted in Jesus Christ and that she has hope no matter how aggravating our bodies can become. We have Uh, Hope and so Lord, I just thank you for her and I thank you for the treatments that are available to her Lord and through all this I pray God that she would understand that uh, there's nothing that happens that ultimately you have not allowed or directed and So God may she draw near to you and grow in her love and appreciation for you and show you To be more valuable than anything in this world And so God we submit her to you pray always for healing and thank you for every opportunity of healing that you've brought their way through medicine Uh, And through doctors so just love you and thank you for that I also want to lift up uh, the Granzo family to you. Uh, God is um, mark's mom was Just killed and so lord we submit grief to you. I I I don't even know how to pray at times um, like this and Father I pray for his dad Um, I pray that ken would be filled With the holy spirit and god that as he grieves uh, It would be grieving as one who has hope uh, because his wife is with you. And Father, I thank you for that truth and the reality. But Lord, um, I just know grief is from you and it, and it allows us healing and it is real. But God, I pray that in his grief, uh, he would be able to say that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I pray this for the Granzo family. Uh, Lord, that their hope and their strength would be in you. And Father, uh, lastly, I pray for um, Mike camera and his mom, and Lord, I just pray for Dariel that, God, you would, again, give her strength, and that you would give her um, an unwavering faith in your goodness, and Lord, I thank you that Mike's dad is a believer in Jesus Christ, and again, is with you. We praise you for that, and have so much gratitude, but Lord, uh, in our grief, Lord, we pray that you would be so near to us, and that you would be the God who comforts us, and who gives us everything we need to be sustained. Pray for Mike's mom, God, that she would be able to sing your praises even in the midst of grief. And thank you that that is real. Thank you that she knows you and loves you and has passed on a heritage of Jesus Christ, not just to her kids, but to her grandkids. And thank you for the legacies in this room of men and women who have been faithful to you. And that passes on from generation to generation to generation. God, as we go to Psalms, we just submit all this to you. I pray, God, that the message you have would be from your spirit And God, that our hearts would be sensitive. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we have been spending the first two-thirds of the summer uh, in a series called Intimacy with God in a Broken World. And we addressed uh, what does it look like to be in an intimate and to be in in a a near and a close relationship with God despite all the junk that life throws at us. And life is terrible to us at times. Amen? Yeah? Uh, Who knows what this week will bring you? Who knows what what this month will bring you? When you started 2011, would you have ever imagined the following would have happened? And yet, God has given us the ability and the capability by his spirit through saving us to draw near to him, come hell or high water, whatever happens to be going on in our week. But it is not easy. And so we, what we did this summer is we looked through a whole bunch of psalms and a bunch of really challenging life situations and of men and women of God, mostly men of God, who have gone before us, written these things down for our instructions. We have gotten a sneak peek into the prayer life of warriors who have wrestled through some of life's most terrible and frustrating circumstances, come out on the other side and recorded it for our blessing, for our benefit, so that we can so that we can learn. In the last three weeks, Mike has been talking and preaching on a series that we called Intimacy Increasers. And these are things that God has given to us. These are blessings he's given to us so that whatever else is going on in life, we can be pursuing him in in, in the following areas. In the first week, Mike talked about creation. And uh, Mike talked about how in creation we see the glory and majesty of God. And especially in humanity, we see the glory and the majesty of God. And then he talked about intimacy with god uh, in worship particularly in god's presence and the application of this is in the church where god's presence fully dwells and and the privilege we have to come together and lift up the name of jesus and be together in god's presence and that this is one of the most uh, essential ways to be growing in our relationship with jesus christ and then last week he talked about the bible and how we can be growing in our intimacy with god through studying memorizing knowing and applying the word of god and these are just tremendous tremendous gifts but you can have intimacy with God, maybe to a lesser degree, maybe with more struggle without these. And I want to explain this. But there's one thing that if you're missing, you have no intimacy. So let me, let me explain. I want you to imagine you are in prison for years. And you don't get to see the stars. You don't get to see the mountains. You are actually alone 23 hours a day. And then when you are around people, around some of the most evil people you can imagine. And it is hard. It is hard to grow near to God and to be blessed by his creation when all you see are brick walls and ugly people. But can you still be intimate with God in solitary confinement? Yes, you can. Is it easy? No. No. Let's say you're a missionary and you were sent off to a land where you are the only person or maybe it's just you and your spouse going to bring the gospel and nobody there believes in Jesus Christ. There is no church like we understand it today. At the most, there's two of you and you don't have people to be encouraged by. And what if you and your spouse are fighting in this environment? Who do you go to for counsel, right? And uh, it's hard and you don't have the kind of friendships in Christ that you need. But can you be intimate with God even in those circumstances? Yes. Let's say you are like the majority of Christians who have ever lived and you don't have access to a Bible. Maybe you get to hear it once a week or once a month or once a year from a preacher who comes by sometimes. But without that, though it's harder, can you still be intimate with God? We have to say yes, lest millions of Christians who have gone before us could not have intimacy because most Christians have not had the Bible at their disposal like we know it today. But let me say this to you. You have no intimacy with God if you are a Christian and you don't pray. Do not deceive yourselves. You have no intimacy with God if you don't pray. Everything else, everything else in terms of intimacy builds off of this single relational foundation. You can come to church You can be preaching the word of God. You could live in the most beautiful mountains in the middle of the Rockies and have no intimacy with God. And even though God has given you all of these amazing opportunities, you can have a cold heart to God, even though you could quote every theological term and Bible verse and then some. You can be cold to the Lord. But if your prayer life is genuine, if you are seeking the Lord continually in prayer, if you are humbling yourself, if you are coming before him, this is the foundation that everything else gets built on. If I get up here and I don't spend time in prayer for you guys, what am I coming with other than my flesh? What am I coming with? If you lead a ministry and you don't bathe that in ministry, what are you coming with but the works in the flesh with maybe good intentions? If you get up and you read the Bible and you don't pray and say, God, intervene in my life, show me what you want me to see, you're just, you're just reading a lot of the time. And does God put up with our laziness and prayer? Absolutely, thank God. Does God still move despite our apathy? Yes, thank God. But I want to be a man of God who prays. And it does not look the same for me as it does for all of you. I got to tell you personally, if I'm not walking or moving, it's hard for me to pray. I go for walks a lot. I go run a lot because that's where I get my head clear and that's where I can pray. If I'm driving around or moving, I can pray. If I'm sitting there with my eyes closed, bent on my knees, I fall asleep, I get distracted and I think about a million other things. Half of you, you're going to say amen to that, right? But I got to tell you, I have to prioritize prayer in my life because it is the source of my intimacy with God. And no intimacy with God is going to come my way through the word, through creation, through the church, uh, through worshiping together, if it's not, if my life is not one that is bathed in prayer and growing in intimacy there. You you understand where we're going? So today, this final message is kind of this all-encapsulating message on intimacy with God through prayer. And, And here's what I know. Christians, for whatever reason, the longer we become Christians, this is the first thing to go out the window. This is the first thing to be sacrificed. I don't know why, but it just is. And every one of us, we understand it from personal experience, but this is the most devastating. This is hands down the most devastating. Now, when we uh, started this series, we talked about a few um, images of intimacy that God has given us, a few tactile things, so we can understand a little more clearly what God means by intimacy. And one was the marriage relationship, where you become one with your spouse, and there's this lifelong companionship. And so God made marriage to give us just a foretaste of what eternity is going to be like. And so, whatever closeness and love and affection you have with your husband or wife, it, it's just a glimpse, okay? We talked about the sexual relationship, how all All of the pleasure that God made for that is supposed to be a shadow, just an insight into what God has made for us with him. The amount of joy you will experience in his presence does not even compare to the greatest sexual joy you could possibly imagine. And yet God has given this to to us as a gift to remind us of what's to come. We talked about the family relationship and the loyalty and the bond that happens in families, right? And whatever happens in your family, it is a shadow of the loyalty and bond that happens in the body of Christ, especially in all eternity i mean this is a beautiful picture god gives us these tactile things puts it into the very fabric of our universe to give us real things that we can identify with so that we can have points of reference to understand intimacy with god and i'm so grateful that he has he has done that now without prayer these things just don't happen they just don't happen And so all summer long as we've been teaching the psalms, I have had this document. It's been this list of observations on corporate worship, on preaching, on prayer. And so what I want to do with you this morning is I want to share with you my list of observations. Uh, As I've studied the psalms, as I've been able to sit under Kyle and Mike Boyle's preaching, as I've been able to read and to study, these are just some things that God has put heavily on my heart for the Village Church. Uh, These are things that God has, each one of these, God has challenged me in deeply. And I, I hope one or two of them just resonate with your souls. And uh, so this will be a little bit different message than usual. But the reason I want to share this with you is because I could give you every message, every theological message on prayer on the planet, right? I could talk to you about, well, why do we pray if God already knows what he's going to do anyways and this and that? But the reality is uh, God has called us to pray and God acts when his people pray. And if you believe that, then this message is for you. And the Bible just does not go into all the nitty gritties and details of trying to explain the providence of God and the responsibility of man and how prayer works and all. I'm just, that's not the point of this morning. If there's one desire I have this morning is that for those of you who are praying, you would increase your prayer life and pursue intimacy with God more. For those of you who have put it off and who have not made this a priority, that you would understand you have no option but to put this back as a priority in your life because it is that essential to the vibrancy and health of your personal life, your ministry, and our church. Amen? All right, observation number one, and this happens to be the longest observation. There's only like 47 observations, so just be patient. Sarcastic. All right, uh, number one, Jesus and the New Testament authors quote and use the Psalms more than any other book of the Bible. Let me say that again. Jesus and the New Testament authors quote and use the Psalms more than any other book of the Bible, particularly in preaching, praying, and praising. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Mark chapter 15, 34. Jesus is on the cross. And it says this, And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice. And then it gives the uh, Aramaic words, on it, and here's what it literally translates to. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did you know that this was a psalm? Did you know that this wasn't just a, a random phrase that he said? Do you know that this probably was not just something he said, hey, when I go to the cross and I'm about to die, here's what I'm going to say. I, I have a hunch that this flowed out of the very soul and the heart of Jesus. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to go um, to Psalm 22 and want to read the reference where this came from. And the psalm starts off and it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. I mean, Jesus is identifying with David's plight in the psalm. But, But listen to what he says. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel and you our fathers trusted they trusted and you delivered them to you they cried and were rescued if in you they trusted and were not put to shame but i am a worm and not a man scorned by mankind and despised by the people do you think jesus identified with david in a tremendously personal way yes all who see me mock me and they make my they make mouths at me and they wag their heads And this is what they say to him in mockery. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And Jesus is on the cross, and he picks out this phrase, My God... My God, why have you forsaken me? And he says this because Jesus prays the Psalms. He knows the Psalms. The Psalms have given him the vocabulary to talk to God with. And there is this amazing context. It's like when somebody quotes a line of a movie, right? The reason you laugh is because you might know the movie or know the context. Well, when they heard Jesus say this, it's not like they could hear this and it's an isolated statement from Psalm 22. No, they heard this and they heard the whole Psalm. They heard a Psalm and the cry of a man who is God who trusted and his father but came to him in one of the most vulnerable situations and the Psalms gave him the vocabulary to speak to God go with me to Luke 23 46 these are the last words that Jesus says on the cross then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said father into your hands I commit my spirit and having said this he breathed his last. I love that even Jesus' seemingly discussion language with God is so bathed in his understanding of the Psalms that it just comes out. Now let's go to Psalm 31, 1-5, to where this verse comes from. Again, Jesus is on the cross. These are his last living statements before his resurrection. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. And you've got to understand, whatever he says, it is in the context of this whole psalm, and he understands that. And by saying this one line, he's identifying with the whole. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden from me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit, for you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I mean, as Jesus is on the cross, his cry is one of a psalm that declares the faithfulness of God. And as the father turns his back from the son, Jesus is still muttering on his lips, you're faithful. And the Psalms have given him this vocabulary to speak this way because the Psalms are filled with story after story after story of men who have gone through hell, men who have gone through worse than you and I would ever imagine. And they declare God's faithfulness almost every time. And they describe their pain. They describe their frustration, right? But then they come back and there's this inevitable coming around, usually except for like one or two Psalms, where they say, Despite this, my God is good and he's faithful. I mean, the Psalms are giving the very language to the New Testament authors that they need to understand and pray to God, and the Psalms give them the categories to pray. Because in the Psalms, we learn that no matter what it looks like, God is always good. He is always faithful. He will always defend his people. Everything will work out for the good of those who who love him. You see that throughout Almost all the Psalms, it's just this micro, macro theme, it's, it's, like, it's there. And when you immerse yourselves into the Psalms, if you let these things have their way in your mind, and your heart, and your soul, you will be equipped to deal with life. Because whatever life throws at you, God is a constant. And you'll see that there are men who have gone before you hundreds of times over. And they have relied on the faithfulness of God, even though they couldn't see it, even though they didn't understand it, even though they didn't experience it immediately, they held on to it. I think what's interesting is jesus dies with the psalms on his lips and this is something a commentator drew out i just thought this was profound the basis of the great commission which is psalm two if you read back over it you'll find it is in the psalms the first major decision in acts one it's based on the psalms the first prayer meeting acts four it's based on praying the psalms the first sermon in acts chapter two it's from the psalms not interesting how much the Psalms influence and affected everything they did. And this is why as I, as I read over the Psalms, as I prayed over the Psalms, and I, and I tried to go through every single one of them, and I took notes on every, I was trying to immerse myself in this literature so that I could come as equipped to deal with it and to present to you uh, God's word from this, from this group of, of, of songs from the book of Psalms. And I got to the New Testament. I'm like, this stuff is everywhere. It is everywhere. And then when I learned no book, or no, the, no book is used more often by the New Testament authors than this, I thought, what are we missing? This is so pivotal to their understanding of theology, to life, to experience. And maybe we need to rethink how we engage, engage the Psalms. Uh, in the New Testament, Colossians 3 says, Let's Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing Psalms and hymns, And spiritual songs. And that somehow even for the early church, even though they don't have the melody and the music of the original songs, that God's people are called to put the Psalms to music in generation after generation after generation. Because these are the words that God has called His people to write music to, and not only that, but there are other songs, there are hymn, or there there are there are spiritual songs that come from the movement of the Holy Spirit in people. And so, there's all different kinds of songs that the church sings, but there's one kind of one kind of uh, kind of song that we're supposed to continually have in our rotation, and and those are songs rewritten that are based in principles from the hymns or from the Psalms. Isn't that cool? And if you look at so much of the music that's written nowadays, what you don't realize is that a lot of the hymns are from the psalms. A lot of the praise songs, they're from the psalms. And that so much of the vocabulary that we use in corporate worship, it's actually psalmic in nature. That's, that's what it is. And so before we uh, quickly bash one style of music over another, what we need to realize is that the psalms themselves set a paradigm for us that sometimes gets really, really deep and theological and sometimes just gets really, really repetitive and that there's a place for all of this in corporate worship. Ephesians 5:18 and 19 says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And here's what happens when you're filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That somehow when you're filled with the Spirit... The word of God through the Psalms should be near enough to our vocabulary that we're able to share it with people. And the, the implication here is that we should know the Psalms. In fact, if you were going to be a pastor in, say, the first five centuries of the Christian church, I mean, it was like standard. Of course, you've memorized the Psalms, right? Now no pastors are expected to memorize the Psalms, let alone any book of the Bible. But this was like standard protocol for pastoral ministry in the early days of the church. Because the Psalms were considered so essential to the life of the church. It's also one of the reasons why uh, we get these New Testaments, right? And almost always the book of Psalms is added. Because this is, this is the, the book that has given us the vocabulary with which to pray and to worship God. And so how could you put a New Testament Bible together without tacking on the Psalms because they are still so vital to our relationship with God? That's number one. Number two. Though our circumstances lead us to God in prayer... God, through prayer, makes our prayers about Him. I want to explain this. I mean, a lot of the time, we, we, we get on our knees because life is terrible. Because we don't know what to do. We need help, and we need wisdom. But in the Psalms, here's what you see. You see time after time after time... Men coming to God with their real circumstances. And by the time they get done praying, it's like their whole brain is shifted. And now all of a sudden it's you are faithful, you are good, you will rescue me. And and where before what motivated us is the is the trial, where we end is with God. What motivated us before is the pain and the heartache, but where we land is in trusting and resting in God's character and who and who he is. Now, here's this is something that was really just motivating for me. Here's how you know when you're in a trial, prayer has done its job. You're consumed with God even though the trial hasn't gone away. So you're praying, Lord, I don't understand why I'm going through this. I don't understand why you would take this from me. I don't understand what is going on here. God I know that you are good. No, God, I am positive you are good. God, what do you have for me in this? And oftentimes in the blink of a moment, in the blink, you don't even realize you're doing it. but as you're praying, you realize God is way more important than whatever circumstance you're going through. Have you ever experienced that? And it's like, wow, praying gives you an actual perspective and you know it's done its course on a specific issue when you're consumed with God at the end of it. And even though your circumstances might be the impetus or the catalyst for your prayer, God is not content for you to be done praying until he is, you are consumed with him at the end of it. Because a lot of times your circumstance isn't going away. And you can complain and you can complain and you can complain and there's a season for that which we'll talk about. But until God is what you're obsessed with, you will have no ability to come to real peace in that circumstance. Number three, it's fine to sulk and complain, but only for a season. I mean, the Psalms are like a collision of our pain and of God's goodness. And like every time we come to him, it's like this explosion. And if you can't read the Psalms and see this tension between my trials and God's goodness, you're missing most, I mean, most of the Psalms are just like, ah, life, 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 God. And you know what happens every time? God wins. God wins. Every time. And it's like running into a semi. And when you go to God in prayer with all of your aggravation, with all of your hurt, with all of your frustration, and and God has given us full permission just to complain in his presence. God, this is hard. I don't like this. I don't like this. And And that is just okay for a season. But there gets to a point where you just need to submit. This may never change. This may be my lot in life. And God, rather than bicker and complain and let it destroy me and let it consume me, I'm bending the knee because running into you is like running into a semi, and I will lose every time. And thank you, God, for driving very slowly that semi at me. Thank you very much. But God, uh, thank you for being patient with me. But I do not, not want to go to battle with you, and I, I want to be consumed with your goodness. In Psalm uh, 3, David writes about uh, his son Absalom basically throwing a coup and trying to take over the kingdom. Now, That sounds, uh, but like if it were your son and you were the king anointed by God, right? And your son tried to take you over and actually got you out of the city, that's devastating. Absolutely, absolutely devastating. But in Psalm 3, David says, I think some pretty profound things that give us uh, categories to deal with this. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory, you are my glory, and you are the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me, all around. I love this. David is going through a terrible situation and he just starts off with like, how many are my foes?" And then almost immediately he's like, you're good, you're gonna protect me, you're awesome, right? And there's this collision and David time after time after time bends his knee to the collision and says, God, you're good, you're holy, you're right and I just wanna challenge you with this. If you're going through a hard time, you need to get on your knees in prayer and don't stop until God has overcome and won the day in that situation and then I guarantee you there's many, many more things to pray about. But if there's somebody in your life who who, who has never trusted in Christ, right? and you're just begging God for them, you keep praying, you keep praying, and you keep praying. You can get angry at him all you want, but their conversion at the end of the day is not up to you. It's not up to you. And so you pray, and you pray, and some of us get the profound privilege to pray for people we love, and sometimes for years, and to see them come to Christ, and it's like, you are good. I knew it the whole time. I knew it the whole time, but you are good. And pray, and pray, and don't resist what the Lord is doing. Number four. Prayers of faith are answered, and prayers of the faithless are ignored. Proverbs fifteen twenty nine says this, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Now, just share with you, like, a, a personal struggle that I've really, really wrestled through this summer, and, I mean, the question, one of the questions that came through my mind was, does God ever ignore the prayers of his children? And I know by faith the answer is no, Okay? Um, and so, like, there have been some circumstances where um, really terrible things have happened um, to people in our church and gut wrenching things. And so I will find myself, I, I just get the unique opportunity to pray with people. And, you know, there are two things in my head do I do it because it's a duty or do I do it because I love them? I, there's never a moment where I'm like, it's a duty. You know, like, I, I love, I love, I love coming before the Lord on your behalf. Like, it's a joy, a joy. So, and I'm there, and I'm like, okay, God, I don't really have all the vocabulary for this right now. I don't understand it, okay? But I pray that you would be the God of peace to them, and that your Holy Spirit would bring peace to them, okay? Now, there's what you're supposed to say, which is something like that, right? And if you're just doing your duty, you just say, it. you are like, all right, whatever. But, like, what I'm wrestling with is, okay, God... if I could see into the spiritual realm, I want to know what you do because I believe that prayer does not just fall on deaf ears, okay? I don't believe that I'm just supposed to say that because I'm supposed to be, you know? Like, I believe when I pray that your peace comes on somebody, something has to happen. And though it doesn't make everything right and perfect, like, why the heck am I praying if, if, if you're not going to actually uh, follow through and do the very thing that you say in your word that you want to do, which is grant them peace, right? And I, I wish I could see in the spiritual realm what actually happens, Right? Um, I wish maybe, maybe God just sends the Holy Spirit or sends angels. I don't know. I can't see it. But when I pray, when I pray for you that God would grant you peace or comfort, they're not just cliche terms. Like in my head, I am wrestling. God, I am, I am believing you and taking at your word that this is producing real realities. Okay. That these are actually happening. And these are not just like, uh, uh, things we do because we're supposed to do. And so when I pray for somebody, like oftentimes I just have to picture my mind and my imagination, like what God might be doing in response to my prayer. Right. Uh, when I pray for, uh, like, somebody specifically who, like, Matthew was leading worship up here last week, and so I prayed for Matthew, God, will you give him just a genuine spirit that is focused on you, right? And I'm like, I just got to believe that God is working in his heart, preparing him, and I don't know what it looks like, I can't see it, I'm not there, I don't even have to be there, but by faith, I'm just, I have to believe that, that these are not just empty words that God's up there like, yep, heard it, Chuck, you know, like, he is really there and engaged, And I tell you, if you pray and you don't even believe what you're saying, you're just doing it out of duty, I I mean, the Bible's pretty clear that God's not really interested in those. But, like, God does answer prayers. And I've gotten to a place where I've had to just persist and believe that God is doing something, even though I can't see it, and He may not be doing it in the time frame I want. But there's no prayer that I put forth when I come into His throne room that is just wasted or purposeless or small or trite. That He just says, "Oh yeah, ha ha ha," or "I'm really glad you did that. You obeyed." But that's all this is about is just obeying. Like I really have to believe that God is reacting and responding in very real, measurable time. And this is one of those uh, times where I just wish I could see into the spiritual realm, and I wish I could see, like, as we pray for the service in the morning we pray for the preacher and the worship leader in your hearts like what are the kind of battles that are going on in this room and what kind of things are actually happening in the spiritual realm and lord uh, uh, keep the evil one at bay well what if there are angels just keeping the evil one at bay and what if we just can't see it and we go on with our life and we're like oh that was a great sermon oh i really learned something not realizing the amount of spiritual battle that went on behind the scenes you know what i'm saying and this is stuff we take by faith. And when you get images in scripture into the spiritual realm, it is scary and profound and different and real and vibrant and fighting and prayer intersects into this, into this world and causes actual reality to take place, right? And there, there aren't just things we do in the physical realm and have no effects over there. What you do affects what happens. What you do in the physical affects the spiritual and vice versa. And what happens in the spiritual realm, right, affects us in the physical, although we just can't see it, but we take it by faith. You say, wow, Lord, fill them with your Holy Spirit as they preach or lead worship or teach or whatever they do. Well, I've got to believe that that's not just something we throw around and that is meaningless. I've got to believe that if I want to be filled with the Spirit and I'm trying to obey God and you want me to be filled with the Spirit and you want to be filled with the Spirit, that whatever that means, that those realities are actually taking place. But... One of the things that the Bible is clear about is you actually have to believe that God will do it if you're going to get your prayers answered. And so if you don't believe, I mean, don't expect any of that to really come through. But do you, do you believe that when you pray for somebody, when you pray that they would be able to grieve with hope, that the spirit uh, in their inner being would be like giving them that capability to do that, even though I don't know, no idea what it means. I can't relate, but God can. God can. And I'm not, I'm not praying because I can relate. I'm praying because God can relate. That's why I'm praying. And I'm praying because and I, and I, I believe that God will actually do that. So I, I've wrestled with that. And I've, I've had to get to a place where I just say, God, I believe you. When I pray, I believe you. And I don't need to see the details to believe. I mean, there's a group of prayer warriors that meet on Wednesday night. They've met for years and they pray for every single person in that prayer and praise and pray for our church and pray for our leadership. And to think that that has had no effect on on this church is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And who knows? Who knows? What has God spared our church from because these faithful men have prayed and prayed and prayed? There are some of you who can't make it on Wednesday nights and you pray and you pray and you pray. And who knows? Who knows what God has done and preserved and and blessings he's granted us to see because we have faithfully, faithfully labored in prayer. What privileges have we missed because it's been work in the flesh and not work in the spirit? What privileges have we thrown by because we have not come to the Lord and said, Lord, you go before me and do this? I'm, I'm afraid of that answer when I get to heaven. I'm afraid uh, to see all of the opportunities that we could have or I could have been a part of to see God glorified simply because I was too lazy to put God first because he's the one who gets it done. I'm going to keep going. Number five, no pretension. God listens just as we are right where we're i love this there's like i mean we're talking kings worship leaders in israel and there's no sense of like hiding what they're really struggling with i mean there's just this vulnerability right and so when we pray i mean there's this really neat sense of vulnerability that we get to have with the lord and the Psalms set an example of you come as you are you come as you are and you pray, and you pray, and you wrestle with all the junk you bring to the table. And I think the Bible gives us freedom to not be perfect because we're not. It gives us the freedom to struggle, but it also calls us in that struggle to run to God, to run to Him, and lay it out before Him. And not just once, but continually, because if you want to have like a good relationship with your husband or your wife, it doesn't happen when you just come to them once a month. How's it going? Good. Awesome. Good to talk to you. Can I have this? Great. Bye. See you next month. Like, that's not how relationships are built, right? Uh, Intimacy happens in persisting and continually pursuing it with God without pretense, without acting like you're better than you are, but coming before him in honest humility. Number six, this may sound kind of strange. This is from a guy named Eugene Peterson. I was reading a book of his on the Psalms and praying through the Psalms. He said this, prayer is the technology God uses to get things done. Okay, so like all of you right now, your clothes are here because of technology. There have been machines that made them or uh, maybe, the, maybe you knit your own clothes and, but whoever discovered the needle, that's technology. You communicate with your friends based on technology, Facebook, Twitter, Gmail, whatever. Like technology is a part of everything we do in life and this is how we get stuff done, right? We build tools to get stuff done more efficiently because there's a lot of things we just can't do with our hands. Guess what God's tool is to get anything done? Prayer. Wow the implications. So I'm sitting down with you and I'm confronting you on sin and I realize that there is a heart change that needs to happen, right? I'm pretty awesome. I'm just going to go to you and confront you and say, hey, have you considered? Or I could actually do the work that needs to be done beforehand because realizing any true repentance is going to happen by God through a heart change as the Holy Spirit intervenes. And can the Holy Spirit bypass, my pray- or bypass me not praying? Sure, he does it a lot. Okay, but I want to go and I want to say, God, I'm just going to acknowledge I am a human going into a situation needing a supernatural intervention, and so, Lord, I need you. I need you big time. I need you to do this, and I will use my words. You let—I mean, you use me. You're calling me to do this, but I'm just acknowledging that unless you go before me, unless you do the hard work, I, I, I'm just words. Prayer is the technology that God actually uses. Number seven: prayers should be shared. And writing, and songs, and speech. One of the most valuable, I think, times um, in Kyle's teaching in chaos has been when he writes out his prayers at the beginning. And he writes out these beautiful, appropriate prayers. And, and they should just all be published, to be honest, because they're wonderful. But they're from his heart. And they are, this, uh, they are this collision between what's going on in real life and who God is and God wins. And there are tremendous illustrations of what happens in the Psalms. And uh, they're just really, really powerful. The church is supposed to write music. Musicians write music. Write good music, preferably, uh, but write music. And it looks different for every different genre, but like God's people are supposed to write music. That's what we do. We're supposed to be able to sit down with each other and say, I I prayed for you, or can I share the psalm that I've been praying for you? Um, Ironically, my mom has been praying for me since I was a little kid over Psalm 119, which is a psalm that is uh, all about the word of God. And go figure that her son is a preacher of the word of God. uh, I mean, go figure that one out. But my mom has been praying for me that psalm for years. Number eight, this has been, I think, one of the most encouraging. Our worship songs are prayers. Somebody said recently, and the heart behind this was totally good, by the way, we need to pray more in church. And I was thinking about it, I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, half our service is prayer. Really? Like, we choose songs very purposely. Whether you sing a prayer or say a prayer or recite a prayer, it doesn't matter. It's prayer. So when we sing, okay, like somehow we've categorized there's, worship music then there's preaching and then there's prayer right i'd rather categorize it there's a time for preaching and a time for prayer and whether that prayer is done by me or you reciting it back right but one of the reasons we do music and god made music is because it makes it memorable makes it emotional it makes it pertinent makes it relevant right and it takes words and it puts poetry to them in a way that quite honestly just spoken prayers don't often do but like when Mark or John Thomas or Matthew are leading worship here or Dale, uh, you know what you're doing? You're leading us in corporate prayer. I've, I've been a pastor for a decade, never thought of it like that until I did this series. I don't know how I missed that one, but that was like... Martin Luther said this. And this is just terribly funny to me. Um, Come, let us sing a psalm and watch the devil flee lest he singe his wings. And, uh, and what Martin Luther understood is that as we sing the psalms, we are praying, and the devil cannot, he just hates when God's people pray. He just hates it. I love that. Come let us sing a psalm and watch the devil flee lest he singe his wings. All right, number nine, and this is, I think, for me, been the most powerful one. Prayer ensures ministry and worship are in the spirit and not in the flesh. Now, I wrote this out because I want to get it right, so listen carefully. The subtle difference between ministry in the flesh and ministry in the spirit is almost always exposed by time and not in the moment. So I want to give you an illustration. Um, I can get up here and give you the most magnificent exposition of any text of Scripture. I'm not saying I can't, but this is hypothetical. If I did, uh, (laughs) get that in your head. Uh, And you could come up to me and say, I have never heard a better sermon in my life. And God can use that in your life. Okay? And I can get up week after week after week and blow your mind with the word of God and my amazing oratory skills. Again, hypothetical. Okay? <laughs> uh, but the real test of my fruitfulness in the spirit is not whether or not a bunch of people come up to me afterwards. It's whether over the long haul God uses my gift and my preaching to change people, to equip people, and to cause them to draw nearer to Jesus Christ. Like That is the long-term long-term, like that's how you know, okay? So you might be leading a ministry and someone can come to you and say, you're doing awesome, right? And then here's what you have to think to yourself. We'll see what happens over the long haul, <laughs> okay? Because the real test of ministry is perseverance, not immediate gratification. And most of us, if we're smart, learn how to do things professionally or in a way that meets the group's expectations. But all of that is irrelevant if the Holy Spirit is not in, in it, Okay. And so, like, an evangelist goes out and a hundred people come to know the Lord, but only one of them persevere after a year. Contrast that to an evangelist goes out and ninety persevere till the day they die, okay? Okay? And both of them feel pretty amazing about the evangelistic crusade that they had, but the real test of the Spirit's uh, work in that ministry is the longevity of it, not what happens in the moment. And so I think as leaders and as ministry leaders, we just need to chill out sometimes. We need to make sure uh, before all of the applause that you might get for putting out an amazing program, that that program is genuinely bathed in prayer, that you go before the Lord and you say, God, I'm going to do my part on a human level to do the best I can because I want to please you. But God, I just want to submit to you, I don't want the applause of man only, okay? Um, I don't even want it really at all. What I want is for you to do a, a work in people's hearts and souls that lasts over a long period of time. Will you do that? Please. And, and I just think we need to be really careful. The fruit is not in the immediate reaction. Although that's how we often love to, to judge it. I know that's, it's easier some of you are getting by just fine with success in ministry, but just fine isn't good enough for me. I want people to meet with God and be changed by him. Amen? I mean, who does ministry and says, I just want immediate success, but when I leave, it'll just all fall apart. Anybody? No, that's just. And finally, number number 10. Psalms are meant to be prayed, not simply studied. I wrestled through this whole series in terms of how do I preach a book that's meant to be prayed and sung? You know, like that's kind of a weird, like, tension. And uh, so here's what I want to do, um, before we go into the music, uh, I want to ask Heather, will you put up Psalm 1 and Psalm 150? And uh, we're going to stand, and we're going to read these together out loud, and uh, we're not just going to read them like we're reciting, even though sometimes it can sound like that. Um, what I'd like you to do is to read them, are they going to work up there you? All right, good. Um, uh, I want you to read them thoughtfully, Okay. And again, even though our our, our tone might be like the kind of typical tone where we repeat somebody and we all sound like robots and clones, but I want your heart to mean these. And this is the bookend of the book of Psalms, which are chosen very purposely to kick off the Psalms and to end the book of Psalms. And uh, I figured as we're ending this book, this would be a great series uh, to pray or a great series of Psalms to pray through. So stand with me now and pray with me. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord in his sanctuary! Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourines and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. Let's praise, praise the Lord. forgot about that one. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, I thank you that not all prayer is asking, but some prayer is just acknowledging the facts that the righteous, those whom you have saved by faith in Jesus, will be with you forever. And some prayers are just prayers of praise, where we say, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And God, our desire is to be both righteous, to please you, because of the work you're doing inside of us, and also, Lord, to lift up praises to you. God, as we um, even just process together some observations on prayer in the Psalms, God, may you, by your Spirit, not by the coercion of words, but simply by your Spirit, motivate us to pray, to pray together, to pray God's Word, to pray alone, to pray in song. And so, God, I thank you for all the different opportunities that we have. And, Lord, even in my heart, Will you help me even rethink how I understand corporate musical worship, even as prayer? Thank you for what you've taught me. Thank you for what you've taught us. And thank you, God, for the privilege to have your word and that we can praise you because we've trusted in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.